Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. And I'm Gary. And welcome to another episode dedicated to women in horror. Yes. Slightly later. Slightly later than anticipated. Thank you for your patience. Um, Yeah, just... The illness going round. Bit of a cold. Burn, a bit of a cold. You know, and a busy schedule. And a busy, busy schedule. schedule. We want to be at our absolute best for you at Absolutely. all times. It happens to the best of us. So thank you for your patience because I guarantee people have been really looking forward to this episode where we discuss a fantastic film that I hope everybody's watched. But <laughs> I suspect a lot of people haven't. Because we hadn't. It's a court film. To our shame, to our shame, a court film, but to to our dismay, we had not watched yeah. earlier than we did. But before we start talking about the film that I haven't mentioned yet, yeah. <laughs> uh, before we start, let's uh, discuss what's new with Chris and Gary. A short one. A very short one. We haven't watched many new films this week. We've watched... A lot of rewatches. A lot of rewatches. Yeah. Which has been fabulous. We had the absolute pleasure of seeing both Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion and 10 Things I Hate About You on the big screen. Yes, for Valentine's Day. Just perfection. Well, excuse me. Romeo and Michelle was for Galentine's Galentine's Day, which is February the 13th. And then for Feb- uh, on February the 14th, for Valentine's Day, we watched 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Our uh, millennial hearts were living. They were. They were. But for best of the week, for me, I have Wicked Little Letters. Yes. Wicked Little Letters. I completely agree. No, I mean, technically it's won by default because it's the only first time watch. Other than what we're talking about today yes. for today's episode. Um, but... I think it would have been my best anyway, because it's just so good, so charming. And it's the serial, it's the ITV drama version of Serial Mum I Didn't Know I Needed. Yes. Um, Based on a true story set in the 1920s, I believe, Mm -hmm. it's about a small village that's besieged by disgusting letters that someone's writing... First of all, to um, Olivia, Olivia Coleman's character, and then to the whole village, um, basically calling them every dirty word under the sun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jesse Buckley's character is accused of writing these letters, and um, it all goes on from there. Um, absolutely hilarious. I felt it could have been a bit of a one-trick pony. Mm-hmm. And a little repetitive, but it actually succeeds in not wearing the joke thin. Yeah. Which I really, really appreciated. I thought the characters were very compelling. All the characters were very compelling. It said a lot about um, being a woman in society. Mm. Um, it said a lot about expectations of femininity and... And I really appreciated that. And, and again, like I said, based on a true story, which is wild, when you watch it, you when you realise it's based on a true story, I don't think it's 100% accurate. Um, and it admits that at the start. But, yeah, wild. Yeah. Speaking of wild... Yeah. The uh, 
worst of the week. Now, it could have been one or two. It, it could have been nine and a half weeks starring Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke because that was fucking rotten. Oh, that was a tough watch. Um, but we watched something even worse. We watched Jennifer Lopez's This Is Me Now. And yet, with a title like that, I can't tell you a fucking thing about Jennifer Lopez from that film. Yeah, <laughs> to a certain degree. I I feel like it should be called This Is Me, 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 Me. Because she's so self-involved. Yeah. And it's so vapid that it doesn't actually say too much about her. But it says... So much about her. Yeah. It's it at one point her therapist she asks a question about his uh and Jennifer Lopez, as far as I can said, wrote this. Um she did, didn't she? I, I assume well, so. It, it's a passion. I hope so. It's her passion project. But her therapist she asks him a question about himself and he's it's literally like, No, 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 we're here to talk about you, Jennifer. <laughs> This is all about you, Jennifer. And it's... I, I don't want to go too much into it because I, I do kind of want people to watch. Do you? I kind of want people to... Um, she did write it. She did, of course she wrote it. I do kind of want people who are inclined to watch trash to watch <laughs> it. I don't want to spoil too much. Yeah, okay. Um, but it is a lot of... Uh, putting herself at the centre, uh-huh. not only of her story, but everyone else's story. So she has these friends who have no names. They don't have any names. And all they ever talk about is her. Yeah. And when she's sort of disconnected from them, all they can talk about is her. Mm-hmm. She literally has Jane Fonda as one of the zodiac signs, and so many other celebrities as zodiac signs, as some sort of Greek chorus in the sky that every so often only ever talks about Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Um, it's wild. It's only it's an wild. hour. It's only an hour long, and it is filled with ugly AI visuals. Oh, and, yeah, it's. I, I do agree to a certain extent. I do think it is a you-need-to-see-it-to-believe-it kind of deal because I still can't believe I watched it myself. Um, I actually... I've always found Jennifer Lopez really likeable myself. I've, you know, I've enjoyed a lot of things of her in. I've enjoyed her music. But this... It, it felt like she was going to have a way to make herself unlikable. It just... For me, for the, for the most part, I was just like, yeah, we get it. Like, yeah. Like, I know. I know. You know, stop going on about these... Th- these yeah. things and with so much ugly AI and CGI I just and the, the songs were alright I kind of if, if you're gonna tell me your life story I wanna hear your life songs yeah. I wanna hear Love Don't Cost a Thing I wanna hear Jenny from the Block I wanna hear If You Had My Love if you're gonna tell us this story but I suppose number one she's got a new album to flog she has. And secondly, it only really tells her story between Affleck's. Yeah. So when she breaks up with Ben Affleck and then gets back together with Ben Affleck. And she kind of insinuates that all of her bad choices during that period, her three marriages? 
yeah, during that free, time. Yeah. Um, they were all because she broke up with Ben Affleck. Yeah. And it's difficult because I hope them the best for the future. And I hope that they do stay together for a long period of time. I don't have any grudge against Jennifer Lopez. But if it does happen, this could be very awkward. <laughs> it's true. Because it's 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 not only a love letter to herself, it's a love letter to Ben Affleck as well. Yeah. It it's weird. It, it needs to be seen to be yeah. believed. Yes. Um so thankfully now we can move on from talking about that trash. So talking about something good. Yeah, so this week's episode, spoiler warning, is now in effect. Yeah. We'll be discussing the whole of this film. It's Messiah of Evil it from is. 1974. Yep. The cult classic, Messiah of Evil. Yeah, that it is. It's um wild to think this is from the... Writer and director of Howard the Duck, yes. Willie Willard. Um, Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I mean, I I swear to you, this film is a film I wish I watched years earlier. Uh, and as, as much as I'm glad we're here today talking about it for you guys, I kind of wish I didn't watch it for the podcast first because I feel like it may have got an even higher rating from me if we watched it just as a film. Yeah, yeah. To make notes. It's uncomfortable it's creepy in the same sort of vein as night of the living dead and texas chainsaw massacre is i think 70s horror is some of the best of all time i think it's phenomenal 70s my favorite decade for cinema uh and this is just no exception it's just there's just something uneasy about it throughout the whole thing and i love it it's one of those horror films that successfully builds an atmosphere yeah and it does so on a micro budget. Yeah. A very small budget. Um, but does so so effectively. Yeah. It's not a big film. It's not a bold film. But it benefits from not being that. Yeah. When for we'll discuss it more actually, but I, I love how it does so much with so little. It's, as I said, written and directed by Willard Hoyk, who is the writing director of Howard the Duck, Best Defense, and French Postcards, writer of The Devil's Eight, American Graffiti, Graffiti, Lucky Lady, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, A Father's Homecoming, Mothers, Daughters and Lovers, Radioland Murders, and Secrets of a Hollywood Nurse, and co-directed and co-written by Gloria Katz, the only film she directed, but she also wrote American Graffiti, Lucky Lady, French Postcards, Temple of Doom, Best Defense, Howard the Duck, Father's Homecoming, Mothers, Daughters and Lovers, and Radio Land Murders. So they were married. Yes, husband and wife. So this is this is how it comes into women in horror. Yeah. Um obviously co written and directed by a woman. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, husband and wife team, love to see it. Are they still together now? I'm, I'm not sure. We'd love uh, to see it. it. Yeah. Uh, budget, exact amount is unknown, but it, I, I do know it's under $1 million, and uh, I don't know how much it made. But what I do know is that Anitra Ford uh, said on her blog in 2011, 
that shot in 1971, the film was originally titled The Second Coming. But Chris and Gary kept laughing whenever they heard Coming, so mm. we had to change it. Oh, wait. Um, towards the end of the filming, investors pulled their money out and the film was never finished. A French so there man, was no second coming because of the pulling out. Yes. A French man brought the unedited footage, edited it, and released the film under the title Messiah of Evil. In 2003, in the horror genre, the BFI... Uh, British Film Institute hailed Messiah of Evil as a rare work of cinematic genius. The film was listed at number 95 on IndieWire's greatest horror films of all time, stating it's lesser known, but it's full of iconic and memorable scenes that recall to mind some of George A. Romero's best work. And do you know what? I actually, I think this is like the best Romero film Romero didn't make. Yes. Um, I completely agree. This really heavily inspired by yeah. Night of the Living Dead. But it 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 sort of occupies this weird space between American horror and how I perceive Italian horror as, yeah. as well. Obviously with Italian horror it would have been way more over the top. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of the visuals, a lot of the cinematography felt reminiscent of Italian horror mm-hmm. films of the time yeah. as well. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that it's kind of some meeting point between American and Italian. I don't know if that's deliberate or not. I don't I assume it's not really. Mm-hmm. Um but I do love that. Yeah, I also I love it in British horror as well because it kind of made me think of the Wickerman at a few points. Yeah, 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 very true. Um, but speaking of Romero, it re-released on August the 16th, 1978 as Return of the Living Dead. Oh dear. And advertised with images taken from Night of the Living Dead's ad campaign, mm. as well as Dawn of the Dead's tagline, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Romero sued the distributor, citing unfair competition, and won a restraining order in October 1978, preventing the film from being shown under this title. Those sporadic engagements did occur in 1979. I mean, fair play to him. I, they didn't need to call it Return of the Living Dead. Messiah of Evil is a great title the anyway. Messiah of Evil is a great title. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I mean... Is this not the sort of thing people wanted to see in the 70s? Anyway, did they have to go to those extreme lengths? Um, I, don't, I suppose it's difficult, isn't it? What, what were the big... I suppose 1978, you're getting Halloween by that point. Yeah. Aren't you? True. Uh, well, shall we talk about who's in it? Yes, of course. In a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. Pretty stacked cast uh, for well-known faces. Yes. We have Michael Greer as Tom, who you may know from The Gay Deceivers. Oh, yeah. Silly oh, Queen. Of course. He was from The Gay Deceivers. The silly queen from the Gay Deceivers. He wasn't the silly queen. Was he not? I think he was. No, he wasn't. No. No, the silly... Oh, he was Was he? I think he was. Was he really? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I can't believe that. Uh Uh-huh. He was also in The Curious Female, The Rose, Wicked Stepmother, Spree, Mannix, Camp Candy... The Lonely Guy, Summer School Teachers, and more. He's also uh, the owner of the most expensive item within the film. His suit. His suit, yes. 
He was once also pulled over by cops who appeared in the film but were unpaid. They then contacted director Willard Hoyk and demanded payment for their roles or they would throw Greer into jail. So he paid them. I can't. I'm. I'm. That's very interesting. I'm really struggling <laughs> with the fact that I went through the whole of this film not realizing <laughs> that it was literally Malcolm from the Gay Deceivers. Yeah. Literally the iconic Malcolm from the Gay Deceivers. Yeah. The Silly Queen doesn't know his flowers. The Silly Queen doesn't know his flowers, but he knows they're bitch when he sees one. That's true. Wow, that's incredible. That is range. That is range. <laughs> wow. Well, he should have had a much longer career than he did. That is impeccable. Impeccable. Wow. Really, just, I'm blown away. I know it's so much so that my <laughs> interesting fact about the police was just that's thrown so aside. I absolutely ignored that. I, I I was not listening to a single word you said. I well, do apologise. Do you know what? The listeners, listeners were. were. The listeners were. The listeners so now were. they'll know and you never will. Wow. And Maria Mariana Hill plays Arletta. Arletti, amazing name. It sounds like a northern person uh, is referring to their good friend Letty. Arletta. Arletti's gone up to her. Asta. Arletta's looking for her dad again. Um, she's the star of High Plains Drifter, The Godfather Part 2, Star Trek, The Outer Limits, The Baby, Schizoid, Blood Beach, The Last Porno Flick, El Condor, and more. Do you remember her in The Baby? I don't remember her in The Baby, no. Again, I think she was a fairly prominent okay. role in that film. Uh, absolutely stunning, beautiful actress. And... A good actress too. Yeah, she is. It's not often I yeah. say that, but <laughs> usually, usually when I describe an actress as beautiful, it's because I'm about to be mean about their acting. Well, I mean, but... you can take that back now about um, the Texas Chainsaw 3D. Actress. No, she was awful in that film. But no, she redeemed let... herself in the White Lotus. Okay, well, yeah, she, she had time to practice. Um. You don't oh. even know her name. Do not defend someone when you do not Alexandra know Alexandra Daddario, isn't no. it? Something, well, something like that. Anyway, um, she's not in this film, but I'll tell you who is in this <laughs> film. Joy, Miss Joy Bang. Joy Bang. Joy Bang. Bang and brings her joy. Um, <laughs> she plays Tony, and she was in Play It Again, Sam, Mission Impossible TV show, Night of the Cobra Woman, Cisco Pike, Red Sky at Morning, Pretty Maids All in a Row, Events, and more. And I intend on watching all of those because Joy Bang absolutely slays it here. She um seemingly just stopped acting after Messiah Revival. She was like, yeah. no, I've had enough of Shame. this. It's, it's all right. I'll, um, so, but yeah, she she's a standout in this, absolutely. And that hair. Yeah. Yeah, that and hair. starring alongside her as someone else who slays is Anitra Ford as Laura, who was in The Mean Machine, also known as The Longest Yard. The Big Bird Cage, Starsky and Hutch, Wonder Woman, Dirty O'Neill, Invasion of the Bee Girls, Stacy, The Love Machine, Where Does It Hurt, and more. Such a bit of a B-movie actress. Yes. And, and we're getting a bit of B-movie with this. Obviously, yeah. it's a very low-budget film, and there's, as you well know, we think there's a lot to be um, taken from 
B-movies anyway. We yeah. Love, we love B-movies, so it's not a re- You may also know many of the extras if you're familiar with NASA employees uh, from around this era. Um, I, I, I was familiar, but yeah. I, I just forgot them. Well, many of the extras were unemployed NASA workers. Oh. Just, just had them to do, wait, waiting for some employment, so... Well, should we just go star in Sire of Evil? <laughs> uh, do you have anyone else? Yes. So we get... Uh, now, I don't know how to pronounce... Al- Alicia Cook Jr. Um, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, because it, it is a gentleman's name. Okay. So it looks like Alicia... Um, but he started, he was very prominent, um, a bit like the Clint Howard of uh-huh. his time. He was in Rosemary's Baby, oh, of course, The yeah. Killing, The Maltese Falcon, The Big Sleep, House on Haunted Hill, Shane, Salem's Lot, Blackula, Sergeant York, uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kids, just a lot of films where he, uh, a real character actor. Yeah. Um, who would play smaller supporting roles in those films. And we also get, as the stabbing victim in prologue, Walter Hill. So Walter Hill was a um, director. So he directed The Warriors, The Driver, 48 Hours, Streets of Fire, uh, Red Heat, Brewster's Millions, Hard Times, Another 48 Hours... Uh, more recently, Bullet to the Head. He's also a writer for Aliens and Alien Three. Um, so I, I don't. I'm assuming he was wow. just a, a pal, yeah, just like a, a friend. He was, you know, can you come and do this for us? Mm. Um, which I found interesting. And the art director Jack Fisk, who uh, I know mainly for uh, being Sissy SpaceX. Husband. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, but he was art director for Carrie and Badlands, Days of Heaven. And uh, he was also a production designer for Killers of the Flower Moon, There Will Be Blood, Mulholland Drive, Phantom of the Paradise, um, The Revenant. Uh, and he's also a star in and worked on uh, Eraserhead as well. So, yeah. Nice. Kind of one of those films where a lot of people behind the scenes mm. seemingly went on to bigger yeah. things, uh, which is always really cool, you know, because everyone needs to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about our feature presentation. Not far from here, there's a small town on the coast. They used to call it New Bethlehem, but they changed the name to Point Dune after the moon turned blood red. Point Dune doesn't look any different than a thousand other neon stucco towns. But what happened there, what they did to me, what they're doing now. They're coming here. They're waiting at the edge of the city. They're peering around buildings at night. And they're waiting. They're waiting for you. And they'll take you one by one, and no one will hear you scream. No one will hear you scream! So we open with a gentleman seemingly being chased by some unseen entity. 
we found out that was Walter Hill, <laughs> not the unseen entity, the, the actor playing uh, him. He ends up collapsing in someone's back garden by their pool. And then one of the Heim sisters slits his throat. Yeah. In the opening scene. <laughs> uh, she looks like one of the Heim sisters. She, she does. She not does. actually one of the Heim sisters. Um, and that's the opening scene. And then we get the opening credits. Yeah, the opening credits um, have like a sort of yellow feel to them with the yellow font and whatnot. The soundtrack is uh, incredible. A synthy, very minimalist soundtrack. Well ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I think it would be. I can't think of another very, film It's very, time. it depends. When was Assault on Priest and 13? Was it the same year? Maybe. Mm, might be around It's very John Carpenter. Yeah. It's, it's a great score. But very minimalist. And, uh, I love it. Yeah, and I love the narration it's followed by because this is when you f- get your first, because I mean, the, the, the start, the opening scene is kind of like, okay, you know, that's a decent start to a horror film. But then the score starts and then this narration starts with this like unclear image. You're not sure what you're looking at. You're looking at someone in a hallway. You don't know what you're looking at. And the narration, I don't know what it was about. It really creeped me out. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're introduced to, we don't know this at the time. Yeah. We're introduced to a young woman named Arletty. And uh, she's seemingly talking to herself Mm. in a hallway. It kind of looks like a hospital, but it might not be because yeah. it's not very clear. Um, she seems to be talking to herself or to us, the mm. audience, about a group of people who are intent on wrongdoing. Yeah. So she says they're coming here. They're waiting at the edge of the city. They're peering around buildings at night and they're waiting. They're waiting for you and they'll take you one by one. No one will hear you scream. And she yells, I won't. But she yells, no one will hear you scream and lets out yeah. uh, a rather loud scream. Um, com- to us at, at this point, completely incoherent. It, yeah. it doesn't mean anything, but creepy because of that. Yes. Uh, we don't know who she is, what her story is, why she's telling us this. It, obviously, it will become clearer as the film continues. But at this point, it's really... You know, unsettling mm. to to see the the young woman like this. So, we are then introduced formally mm-hmm. to Arletty, who is our main girl in yeah. in the film, and she she drives to the beach town of Point Dune to visit her estranged father, an artist. I love that this is set right by the ocean. Yeah, I love 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 the sounds. Of the waves mm-hmm. and the it paired with the silence. Did it make you think of anything in particular? Uh, the fog. Yes, the absolutely. Fog. There are, and spoiler alert for later on. There are three reference points for me in this film and the Wicker Man, but mm. the main ones for me: Dead and Buried, The Beyond, and The Fog. If you combine those three films, you get Messiah of Evil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so her father's letters had become quite bizarre uh, recently. Mm-hmm. So she decides to go and see him to see what's up, essentially. Uh, she stops for gas on the way and the attendant seems nervous. And the attendant discovers two corpses in the back of a patron's van. Yeah. The, the uh, attendant tells Arletty to basically fuck off. 
<laughs> because it's yeah. not, you know, safe for her. She's trying to pay by card, but he's like, no, just just go, just mm-hmm. go. Um, and he's killed by um, unidentified assailants. And his bloodied corpse is hung from some machinery in the garage. Um, the There seems to be a main assailant in this film. Yeah. Um, he, he talks to the attendant, um, but they're not really saying anything, but he just seems really uncomfortable with the whole thing. Um, but he'll come back later as well. Uh, this sort of main, main guy. Um, Arletti, she finds her father's beachfront house abandoned. And I love, and you're going to hear me say this a lot, but I love the visuals of her going around the house. Yeah. The house is large. It's very empty, but it's full of these very gloomy paintings Mm -hmm. that her father has painted. But they're very large paintings. They're murals on the wall for the main part. Um, And I love how they give the home character. Yeah. Um, There's also large mirrors as well, which I always find quite creepy in films. Um, but it's it's a large and very empty space. Yeah, for no, the most part. Yeah, it's um the cinematography is top notch. Mm. You never think this was on such a low budget um, from how this film looks. Very reminiscent of Blood and Black Lace, but also very reminiscent of Suspiria, which would come after this. So it makes you wonder if Argento maybe watched it. Potentially, um, I feel like. They knew they were on a small budget. Yeah. So they wanted to work around that. So you don't have big, gory, over-the-top death scenes, which you would probably find in similar films. That would cost too much, you know, for the Mm -hmm. effects and such. So there's a big emphasis on creating an atmosphere. And they do that with the the set design, with the cinematography, with the soundtrack... And it works. It works so well. So Arletti finds that her father has left a diary in which he addresses her specifically. In it, he complains about darkness consuming the town and horrible nightmares he's been having. And he implores Arletti to never, ever look for him. Arletti completely ignores this. Yeah. (laughs) And she goes to visit a gallery... And the gallery has a blind owner. And uh, she definitely, she just kind of wants to get the tea on her father. And my father's a painter. There's an art gallery in town. Surely there should be a Mm -hmm. connection there. So the owner's snooty assistant doesn't know her father personally, but does spill the tea on the women that he would have over. But these women weren't from Point Dune. So no. he's given Norris from Coronation Street. <laughs> he's the snooty gay assistant. Um, he points her in the direction of a group of strangers who were asking about her father just that morning. His his blind mother is Campus Ted. I loved her floral dress. Yes, yeah, and um, she she's blind, but she she's I, 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 she's a little off kilter, she should is. we say. Yes. And every everyone in this film is a little off kilter mm-hmm. for the most part. So the the idea is that the town itself 
even the people who aren't necessarily the spoiler alert, the vampires or the, the cannibals, um, they are still a bit on the edge. They can't really be trusted. Or yeah. They, they can't really be um, seen as completely sane. Well, now you mention it, I was going to ask you how you interpret the antagonists in this film. It's interesting you said vampires and cannibals. Because I couldn't make my mind up. Like, partially zombies, I thought. They were given zombies. Yeah. But also they acted like cannibals. But, you know... Some scenes, it kind of looked like they were vampires, but in other scenes would contradict that with vampire lore. Um, and I think that's one thing about this film is, is it's never really said. It's never really... Sh- it's straight facts. Yeah. You know, you don't know what these people are. And I think that's what makes it more creepy. I think there's more than a pinch of Romero zombies from yeah. Night of the Living Dead. Um so I would say they probably are zombies. Mm. Um, they have sort of vampiric tendencies, but I suppose the moment you say these are vampires, you have people saying, well, that's not how Bram Stoker wrote yeah. vampires. That's not how Bela Lugosi played a vampire. So if you don't tell anyone what you're doing, you can kind of get away with anything. Yeah. And that's great because it kind of makes this film feel like its own thing. So, I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, I've said a lot of comparisons so far, but a lot of those comparisons are films that were released after this was made. Mm-hmm. So I do think, you know, this does try and do its own thing, despite those obvious Romero comparisons. Yeah. Um, but it, it just creates its own sort of law. There's no name for them. They're just fucking creepy. And I also don't, I don't necessarily think it creates... Any rules surrounding? Well, them. no, not really. Just they have to bleed from their eye. Yeah, That's really. And they have to be burnt. They yeah. can't be buried. Uh, anything other than that is, you know, up for debate. It's yeah. just you know, they can get away with whatever they want. So Arletti meets these strangers, consisting of a visiting Portuguese American aristocrat named Tom. And his two extremely provocative, groupie-like female companions, Tony and Laura. It's 70s Human League. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, she meets them at a motel where they are interviewing Charlie, the local town eccentric. So Charlie introduces himself by describing his birth. He says, I'm as old as the hills. Mama delivered me herself. She took me from between her legs. Bloody little mess. She's about to feed me to the chickens. And Daddy said, maybe we could use a boy, Lottie. That's how I came into the world. So, it's quite surreal. Yeah. The film as well. There Mm -hmm. are these moments where you're like, what? Yeah. And I like that. Mm -hmm. And me and Gary, and I'm sure somebody out there may have uh, a theory on the film and what it means or what, you know, what the grand sort of um, message of mm. the film is. I didn't think there was one. No, I didn't. Or I wasn't searching for one. No. And I liked that. I think yeah. it's like, you know, I'm just going to let the film be weird. I'm going to let the film create an atmosphere. I'm going to let the film, you know, just do what it's doing. I'm not going to have any expectations I'm not going to try and read between any mm-hmm. lines. 
I'm just going to enjoy myself with this film. And I, I do feel like the film wants you to do that. Yeah. I don't feel like there is a huge message. Like, I like a film with a message. I, I like being able to do that. But then sometimes you just want to watch a film. It's like, wow, this is creepy. Wow, this yeah. is really well made. This is, you know, surreal. And I'm just going to allow it to be what it is. I mean, I do think this is one of those films. Yeah. Feel free to give your theories if you want, but I don't think there is one. No. Um, Charlie speaks at length about the blood moon and the dark stranger and how he has lived through both. He says, very soon it will be 100 year anniversary of the first appearance of the dark stranger. He will return, the moon will turn red and the town will be overrun with evil. Um, Charlie's story is somewhat interrupted by Tony flushing the toilet and emerging from the bathroom, rubbing lotion on herself and complaining about being hungry. It is camp. It is the way you enter a room. No matter what the scenario is. And and you know what? She out she manages to outdo herself with the next time she enters a room. Yeah. And she's such a queen. With Tony, um, she's very unbothered by and let's be honest, until she's um killed. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Until she's killed, she's actually quite unbothered about a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, okay, I'm bored. I need to carry on. Um before she leaves, Arletti opens the library. Uh, after Laura says, Tom likes to collect things. And Arletti says, like old trunks. And Tom says, an old-fashioned retort. Which I don't really, I don't, I'm not, there's a read there. Yeah. But I think it is an old-fashioned retort. I mean, she... I don't, I thought she said, um, oh, actually, what did I think she said? Drunks. Drunks. But she already called Laura and Tony trunks. I mean... Yeah, but That's, what does that even mean? You, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that means. You uh, put stuff in trunks that they're open to put things in. I don't get it. I don't get. So it. she might be, I, she might be slut shaming them, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but it, it's said with uh, enough bitchiness for me to get, it the, is, get the idea. Yes. Um, Tony says, "What's a retort?" And Tom says, "Tony, you are half girl." Half child and half wit. <laughs> to which Tony replies, sit on it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> they're not trunks, they're marigolds, you silly queen. <laughs> I mean, and it's then topped in the next scene by uh, the uh, homeless guy, Charlie, where he's like, don't be afraid. I'm an ugly old man, but I'm harmless. Like, oh my God, reading himself. He's reading himself. <laughs> um, yeah, Charlie warns Arletti, outside Charlie warns Arletti about her father. And he says that her father is one of them now. And uh, we talk about Tony being unbothered. Charlie is literally in Arletti's face saying, you're going to have to kill your dad. Don't bury him though. You've got to burn him. And she doesn't really react no. too much to it. <laughs> so I feel like she is already becoming one of them. Yeah. Kind of losing her, her mind. I feel like already 
she's kind of I don't know. Mm. I mean, I'm bothered, like yeah. dead behind uh-huh. the eyes, you know, literally by the end. Um, so Tom, Tony and Laura, they're kicked out of their motel after interviewing Charlie. And they uninvitedly stay at Arletti's father's house. Arletti is startled after discovering Laura drying her hair with a hairdryer, like she's in a Pantene commercial. It is so camp. It is high levels of camp. Like, literally, that is... Now, that is even better than a river entrance. This is how you make an entrance. Just standing there with a hair blowing in the wind with an air dryer. With a fucking nightgown undone. Like, oh, oh my God. the nightgown is giving side boob. It's giving yeah. leg. Hips sure. and body. Oh. It's, yeah. I'm here for it. She is serving cunt with a capital C. <laughs> um, Tom reveals that they had to leave after Charlie's death. And Arletti's like, oh, he died. Oh, okay. And uh, he says that the police suspect it was dogs as they found his body half eaten. <laughs> Um, and then Tony Tony arrives as well afterwards, and she's just wearing a towel over her top half. Yeah. So you get a little side boob there as well. So it's it, it's rather tame compared to some horror films, but they are absolutely serving post-shower. Post and you'll just see that they, they just turned up and yeah. decided to take a shower in the place where she's staying. Decided to serve as much as they did. Um at dinner, Tom gets flirty with Arletti, <laughs> much to Laura's annoyance, and Tony just acts like a child. So we, we get the idea that Tony... I don't feel like Tony's very interested in Tom no. sexually, whereas Laura is. Yeah. Um, Tony's very childish, very childlike, yeah. uh, whereas Laura is very jealous of Tom and Tom's attraction to Arletti. So, in a... Bizarre scene later on. Tom tries to seduce Arletti. <laughs> In a way that only a gay man can. Only a gay man can. By asking her to help him with his stuck zip. He's like, oh, before I go, can I ask you, <laughs> can I ask you a favour? She's like, yes. Like, can you help me with my stuck zip? Um, On his waistcoat, though. On his waistcoat. On his waistcoat. Not on his crotch area, you dirty git. And how this scene didn't give it away that he was the silly queen from the Gay Deceivers, I don't know. <laughs> because he tries it on with her by hugging her, giving her a cuddle, giving a nice little cuddle. A little cuddle. While saying, you don't just unzip a man and say goodnight. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, you are tired, aren't you, darling? Oh, Arletty's tired, Arletta. <laughs> She's really tired, Arletta. Go was, to bed, darling. I was maybe thinking they that the filmmakers were maybe a little scared to just make him gay. Yeah. Um. So it's they true. they had to have this or an awkward interaction with Arletty. Um. Because did they kiss a little at least? No, just they just just a they hug. literally had a nice little hug. Um. But <laughs> Laura's watching and she's annoyed. Even just the hug. Um, so she's pissed off and she decides to leave for San Francisco. Uh, she gets a lift from the gentleman from the garage. Yeah. So the, the creepy one from the garage earlier in the film. And he starts speaking of the waiting. So he offers Laura a rat to eat. She declines and he eats one himself. So she thinks, yeah, this is probably the best time to get yeah. out. So she gets out of the van, 
<laughs> right there and then. And uh, she ends up going into the local Ralph supermarket. I love the visuals. I love the emptiness of the streets as she's walking. Yeah. Um, there's just one person ahead who she keeps calling out to, but they're not helping. But she ends up following her to Ralph's supermarket. I love the emptiness of the supermarket. Yeah. But I love how the lights from the shops on the way there mm-hmm. and the supermarket itself look compared to the darkness of everything else. Yeah. Like the emptiness uh-huh. and just these bright lights. It's yeah. quite disorientating, actually. It is. Um, I, I love, love, love that. Um, she is eventually devoured by mm. a crowd of people who are feasting on raw meat. Yeah. So she finds them. There's no one in the, in the supermarket, but she finds a group of people devouring raw meat at the butcher's section and they see her and she kind of looks a little unbothered <laughs> a little bit and she's kind of running but she's running like like a model would run if, if she knew photos were going to get taken so it's kind of like the, like the face is still serving despite her being chased but then she sort of gets to the uh, the entrance well, and she clearly slain is always important. To of her. course, of course. But I I I feel like and it's not. I don't think it, it's a bad thing. I think so much in this film is just slightly off. Yeah, it's. I think it's a nightmarish visual as it is. The yeah. whole idea of going to an open supermarket at that time of night or morning and it being so empty and. The only people there are people feasting on raw meat. You know, it's it's terrifying. It's um, it's like he um what do they call it now? Like a liminal space. Yeah. Somewhere where you would expect to be quite busy. Uh-huh. Being so empty. Yeah. Um, it's quite disorientating. And there's numerous YouTube yeah. videos that have been made about it. Um and it works really effectively in this. I also really love the sound design of the steps getting louder yeah. as the group chase her through uh-huh. the supermarket. And it's, it's not like the clackers. Um, it's more like men's shoes. Yeah. But the, the tappy, tappy, tap um, getting louder. I loved that. So back at her father's home, Arletti feels like she's losing her mind. And she sees a painting bleed. So whatever's happening is starting to affect her now. Aleti reads through her father's bizarre journal entries and uh, throughout the film we get little tidbits of info via her father's narration. So we don't have to see her reading each time but we get the narration of her father telling us his journal entries essentially. So in the journal he reveals that his body temperature is 85 degrees and he mentions finding this condition. Um, meanwhile, each night, pale people gather on the beach in front of bonfires, ritually sh- staring straight up at the moon. And the locals call this the waiting. So this yeah. is what was referenced earlier. So he reveals this throughout the film uh, via this narration. And we get narration from Arletti as well, sort of her feelings and... I, I, I like this. Yeah. I, I do like this because it, it kind of, it doesn't take away from the visuals. We don't have to keep seeing her going through her dad's journal. And her dad's journals are slightly weird. 
because it's like a big A3 size notepad. Yeah. And he's writing horizontally. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really get that. Like, That's not how we usually write books, but okay, you know, go off, sis. Uh, <laughs> the following day, Arletti is informed that her father's body had been found washed up on the beach. So Arletti continues to struggle, seeing herself bleeding in the mirror and cutting herself without pain. She also believes that the body on the beach wasn't her father's. Uh-huh. So she has to go and identify it, but it's kind of been squished a bit. Yeah. So there's debris over it. So she says, why did they lie to me? They weren't his hands. They were coarse and large. <laughs> and apparently her dad... Uh, her dad um, took... Great efforts to have nice, smooth, small well, hands. Well, of course. Why not? <laughs> he looked after his hands. This is, but yeah. <laughs> you don't want to have uh, King Charles hands, do you? you do. Oh my god! Little sausage fingers. Yeah. If if anyone who doesn't get that reference, Google King Charles King hands. Or something. La- yeah. <laughs> well, it might make you want hot dogs. So who knows? Yeah. Um. So a bored Tony goes to see a movie and is soon surrounded by other theatre patrons and eaten. So the film on the marquee is Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye, which I don't know if that's a little joke because uh, Tony's literally (laughs) about to kiss tomorrow goodbye. And the trailer playing is Gone with the West. Now, Gone with the West was a real film. It is a real film. And I'm amazed this is a real film. It looks just like a fake trailer. It does. It does. Um, it's a Western starring James Kahn, Sammy Davis Jr. and Stephanie Powers with a 3.1 on IMDb. <laughs> um, it looks from Stephanie Powers, unfortunately, I believe, plays a Native American woman. Uh-huh. And she's not a Native American woman. As, as far as I know, I don't believe she is. So I, I I don't think it's a film that's aged particularly well. Um, so I don't think we'll be watching it. No. <laughs> Especially with 3.1 on IMDb. I mean, it looks <laughs> What I was a little confused by was the fact that it was from the same year. Yeah. So did they take a little bit of money from the makers of it? Potentially. Because inc- it's, it's, you get quite a bit of the film yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they took a little bit of money from the makers. And like, yeah, we'll put it in the film. Because <laughs> I couldn't see the connection. No. Like, if it was the same production company, it, then maybe, I, I don't know. But it's not like it shared a writer or a director or anything. What I really, really love with this scene uh-huh. is the visuals of these very pale people yeah. joining her in the cinema screen yeah. and sitting behind her. And then the really love, love the shot of her being s- sort of devoured, really, by yeah. these people and her bloodied hands shooting up. Uh-huh. And then... Being uh, just the white cinema screen on the as the background. Yeah, this I love that visual. This scene deserves to be spoken about amongst conversations of some of the greatest scenes in horror history. Mm. It's the execution of it is just perfection. I mean, 
the way it's the way the cinema builds up around her with these extra people. It's so creepy mm. because she's so unaware of it. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it makes your skin crawl. It's just, I mean, we know how much of a nightmare it is to have an inconvenience in the cinema screen. And, uh, <laughs> but nowadays it's just people on their phones and talking. It's true. Back then you crowded by, uh, zombies or whatever they are. who are about to murder you. Um, but uh, in all seriousness though, an expertly crafted scene of horror that, and this scene alone makes the film worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that visual of the hand coming out of the crowd is reminiscent of Suddenly Last Summer. Yeah. A film I love. And I won't give you the context for that one because I won't spoil we'll it. We'll talk about it film. in May. We will, yes. Uh, so uh, Tom goes to look for his gal pals along the empty streets. And he meets a woman who has lost her husband. Her eye starts to bleed and she realises that she is now becoming one of them too. So back at the house, Arletti, she's having a terrible time and oh, she bless her. She's sticking a needle into her leg, but disgusting. she can't feel it. Absolutely disgusting how real this looks. And it's right in the fire as well. It is. And it, I always say that the... In horror, I find the more relatable yeah. um, sort of injuries, should mm-hmm. we say, the more relatable ones are the worst. So it's glass in the foot. It's paper cuts. Yeah. It's, you know, something, a scratch on the thigh. Because the thigh is quite a sensitive yeah. area. You know, it's that part. That's what's like, oh, you know, I could see 20 heads be cut off in a film mm-hmm. and be like, oh, okay, I can't relate to that. Yeah. But I can relate to um, Emily Blunt stepping on a nail, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> and trying not to scream. Um, so, yeah, so she's, she's having a tough time. She then finds a bug on her tongue and then vomits up more bugs in the sink. Yeah. Uh, Tom's creeped out now, he's still in the streets, and while he hides, two policemen in riot gear drive up and fire their guns at him and the the other people around. So one of the cops then suddenly begins to bleed from his eye, causing his now former partner to shoot him and flee. Undaunted, the undead cop shoots his former partner and he and the other townsfolk go to feast on his flesh. So we're kind of getting more of what's happening to these people now. Yeah. So seemingly they're corpses that are decomposing in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so their eye bleeds, but also they're going very pale. Um, very reminiscent of the look of the Night of the Living Dead zombies. Yes. Yeah. But it's also not committing to any kind of law. As in, if you get bitten, you become a zombie, which is how we know it now uh-huh. because of the Romero films. Interesting to say as well, you know, we spoke about films that were made after this that I think were influenced by this. City of the Living Dead has a very famous eye bleeding scene. Yes. And I know there are other horror films where people's eyes bleed, but it looks very similar to the eye bleeding in this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I feel like it is that cross section between. American horror and Italian yeah. and obviously I I absolutely could see this as an Italian horror film but you would get the head cut off 
you would get people's insides coming out. You know, I think it's very reminiscent of City of the yeah. Living Dead uh, and the Beyond and Lucio Fulci. And mm-hmm. It may have been influenced by it because it has that same feeling. Yeah. But if it was a Fulci film, people's insides would be exploding. Yeah, you know, true. they'd have massive drills yeah. going through their head. Um, so Arletti's dad returns to his home and gives us and her the 411 on exactly what's been going on. He's pissed off that the body he planted on the beach didn't lead to Arletti fucking off mm-hmm. and leaving Point Dune. Yeah. Um, I'm not being funny, though. This actor playing her father, I don't feel he's got like smooth, petite hands. No, I mean, what they he, are quite large and coarse. They are. What he has got is the voice of Ted Levine. <laughs> he does. He does. Oh, hey, daughter, I'm back. So he gives us the lowdown, and we learn that on that evening, put the fucking lotion in the basket. <laughs> no wonder his hands are coarse. I know. He hasn't been using his lotion. Still in the basket. Uh, we learn that on that evening, the blood moon has risen. And the town's residents will transform and the titular messiah of evil returns. So in a flashback, we see that this messiah was a former minister and a Donner Party survivor from the late 19th century. Um, not uh, Donner Party, is that? No, no, it's not. No, excuse no. me. I'm struggling on my American history. The Donner Party isn't the Hills of Eyes one. Don't think so. No, no. Okay, no. I do apologise. Um, so he's turned into some sort of vampire cannibal man who has come to spread his new religion. So uh, he walked into the ocean, promising to return in a century and lead his people up the coast and inland. Excuse me. Uh, Arletti's father then covers himself in blue paint and attacks her, reluctantly giving in to his cannibalistic urges and after she stabs him with garden shears, she then burns him alive, remembering Charlie's words from earlier, telling her that she will need to burn her father rather than bury him. Yeah. The paint, the use of the paint just adds to the cinematography. Really creepy. But on a person, it's honestly, it's, it's so good. He looks like he's from the Blue Man group. He, he does. Thanks for, yeah, don't, don't ruin it. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, excuse me. The Blue Man group are creepy. Do you think? Absolutely. I just associate them with like Ibiza and Chevy Holidays. Do you? I just remember they did a cover of um, I Feel Love that I, I didn't really like and I just thought they were really weird. <laughs> Each to their own. Uh, Tom returns to the house where he finds Arletti half crazed. She is cold, cannot feel pain and thinks that she may be dead or indeed undead. She does look very pale, and uh, she's startled by his return and tries to stab him with a large knife. Reminiscent of the scene in Slumber Pie Massacre, running by the pool with the knife. That's, that is what it's given. <laughs> uh, the town's... F- I feel like... <laughs> when she's running towards the camera screaming, what I feel like visual. you're suggesting that this film was maybe more popular at the, the time best than part it was. Is, the best part is... I didn't think that when I started the episode. No. But the more it's gone on, it's just clicking like, oh my God, this is this, this is that, this is this, this is that. Maybe more people did see this film. It is a cool film. It is a cool you know, film. But I we're feel the like, last people to see it. I feel like it's become a cool film. Yeah. I don't feel like it was at the time. I mean, 
you know, correct me if it, I'm The wrong. Italians definitely got hold of it. They, they definitely yeah. got hold of this. Argento and Fulci, they had to sit down, they had a key key together, and they watched Messiah of Evil, and they're like, let's go make some of the greatest films ever made and take bits of this film. <laughs> yeah. So the townsfolk start to ascend on the house, and the two of them eventually flee to the beach. But the townsfolk follow them there, even in broad daylight. I love, love, love the visuals of the townsfolk jumping through the window. Yeah. It's so creepy. Yeah. Again, sorry, but again, the fog. <laughs> yeah. The fog. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like, I love the visual of them against the windows. Because there's a few scenes earlier as well where you just see the people standing against the windows. You mm. just see their silhouette. So you don't really know why they're there, what they're doing. And then when they charge through, it's it, oh, it's just amazing. I love it. I love that some of them are jumping through the um, ceiling yeah, glass yeah. as well. And they're others are pressed up uh-huh. against that. It's really, really creepy visual there. Um I wanna watch this I wanna watch this again at Halloween time with the lights off. Ooh, with a pumpkin going. You don't hear me say this very often, but I'd love to see this on the big screen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um I'm but not I, one that has to see everything at the cinema, yeah. but I'd love to see this on the big screen. Absolutely. I, I do hope um, we get a cinema screening of it. Maybe a, a, a cult film screening at home or oh. something like that. But I, yeah, but if not, I, I would love to watch this again at home. Lights off. Halloween time. Yeah. It's just, the more I talk about it, the more I appreciate it. It's mm. just a fantastic piece of filmmaking. So Tom and Arletti swim out to the breakers, hoping to reach a small boat, but Tom drowns. And Arletti says in her narration, and the last thing I saw was the setting sun. So the red, the red moons, uh, the red moon, the red sun is setting. Yeah. Or, yeah. If I've got that right. So Arletti, she ends up surviving the night and is captured by the townspeople. So instead of killing her, she is let free under the condition that she spread word of the religious movement throughout California and the world. This causes her to be locked up in an insane asylum. And each day, all day, she sits in the sun painting, dreading the day the Messiah and his followers come to take her away. And we end with the same shot and the same monologue as we begin the film with. Yeah. So it comes full circle. We understand what that's about. And I love that. Yeah, poetic filmmaking. I really, really appreciate that. At the beginning, it's used to disorientate us, to confuse us. At the end... It's used again, and it brings everything together. Uh-huh. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, okay, we we understand this now. Um, but we also don't understand it. Because uh-huh. it's a film that I, don't, I genuinely don't believe needs a read-between-the-lines analysis. No. And that's Messiah of Evil, by the way. That's Messiah <laughs> that's of Evil. That's the film. Yeah. That is the film. Um, I, I think it's phenomenal. I, I really do. And I, I cannot wait to watch it again yeah. without having to think of my notes. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to watch it again and just enjoy it and embrace it for what it is. The visuals, the atmosphere, the soundtrack. Um, it's great. It's a fantastic film. It is. It is. It genuinely surprised me. I mean... 
I, I say it surprised me because I knew nothing about it mm. before watching it. Um, all I knew was the Romero comparisons. But aside from that, I didn't know much. Um, and I think it's very rare that we discuss a film for the first time for a podcast where mm. it ends up being this good. So Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a nice change. I wasn't expecting this. People who I um, genuine, generally, excuse me, uh, agree, and genuinely, genuinely <laughs> and generally agree with on Letterboxd rated this highly. Yeah. So I, I was I wasn't expecting it to be trash, but I wasn't expecting it to be this good. No. Yeah. Let's give it some well deserved awards. Mm. Biggest Queen was tough for me. It was tough actually, oh, but I think it, and in the end, you know, she went through it. Bless her. She she really had a tough time. I've got to give it to our our letter. Our letter. Um, I gave biggest queen to Tony, our unbothered queen. Yeah. I just think if you can go for all that, so unbothered uh-huh. until the very end, yeah. you know, props to you. Biggest gasp, I give it to the bathroom scene with the needle to the leg and the beetle on the tongue. Ooh. I, I gave it to the opening because it was a little unexpected yeah. Yeah. for me. Uh, best dialogue, I've got two answers. I've got a serious one. Oh dear. And that is the opening monologue. Mm. Because um, it goes on even longer than what we said as well, and it's it's yeah. just a, incredible. Uh, and a non-serious one, it's you don't just unzip a man and say good night. I I went with you don't just unzip a man and say good night. Uh, and that's camp. It's got to be Tony's hair drying entrance. That was Laura's. Laura's Tony. Laura's. Excuse me. Tony had the the towel over the bob. It, yeah. Tony yeah. was giving um, oh, what's her name? Um, yeah, she she was giving. Yeah, she's it, giving it, from, images, from images. From yeah. images. Who's Susanna George? Yeah, no, not Susanna. I know George. you mean. You know yeah. who I mean. Um, it's Laura's hair dryer entrance. Laura's herbal essences commercial. Yeah, definitely. Ratings. I give it nine. Flirty zip favors out of ten. I gave it 10 coarse and large hands out of 10. My rain might go up. I, yeah, this whole episode has been bugging me, actually. But at the time of recording, it's a 9. Just remember that. Masterpiece, trash piece, trash, basic, or a camp or a bunch of fern. It's a masterpiece. I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I don't know what I'm picking apart with it. I don't know what my faults are. Anyway... You may see a change on my level. Who knows? Who knows? Keep your toes. It's available on Blu-ray. That's the first time that's happened on the podcast, What's actually. That? Where I've been indecisive about a rating. Okay. Like, that much. Yeah. It's amazing that last week we had the loved ones, and you talked me into my rating going down. And now this week, my rating's almost going up. So, keep listening for versatility. Available on Blu-ray, video on demand, <laughs> yeah. Shudder, and Plex. Um, <laughs> so there's no excuses. Are you okay over there? I'm having. You're giving us one of the monologues from this film. I, I've been having a rating meltdown this whole episode thinking <laughs> about it, but uh, it's available on Blu-ray, video on demand, Shudder, and Plex. So many places to watch it. And can we discuss how we watched it? Uh, we yes, we can. So Saturday Night Scares. Saturday Night Scares. What's what? What's the lady's name? With Suzanne. So it's on Amazon Prime, and I don't know if this is just a UK thing or I'm assuming it's an American thing. So how we watched it 
was on Amazon Prime and it was part of a Saturday Night Scares with Suzanne. Now, I don't know the lady, but she seems to be an Elvira type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she would pop up every so often and give us little tidbits about the film, which I really appreciated. I think that also didn't help with the getting caught up in the atmosphere of the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we need to watch it again without, without a stunning um, red-headed woman coming up every so often and telling us, Little tidbits about the film, and then randomly interviewing the interviewing star of Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows <laughs> had absolutely nothing to do with this film whatsoever. And she was in a crystal ball to make it even better. She was, she was clearly on a Zoom call, but like put on a crystal ball. ball. So good. But that's how we watched it. Um, so I'd like to watch it again, maybe on a, a nice Blu-ray edition. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I've changed my mind. It's a ten. Okay, it's a ten. Okay, that's the first time it's ever happened. We'll watch it again to make sure. At some I've, point no, this I, year, we'll watch it again. I decided throughout this episode. Okay, it's my final decision. Kidding. Okay, okay. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out again a mix of Dead and Buried, The Beyond, and The Fog. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you enjoyed this, check out The Beyond. Check out Night of the Living Dead, which was clearly a huge influence on yeah. the film. Um, it's it's on one of those lists that I love on Letterboxd, where it's if you enjoyed this film, yeah. this male directed film, yeah. watch this female directed yeah. film. So it's if you enjoyed Night of the Living Dead, uh-huh. then watch Messiah Review. Yeah, I love I love those sort of lists. I've I've discovered so many great yeah. films with those kind of lists. If you loved it too, then tell us on social media. We're Horror Court Trash over on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm Dilat Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And I'm happy to say the Gasp 2024 lineup is out yes. now. So get yourself over to Gasp Horror Fest across all social media. And see what we've got in store for you. Tickets go on general sale on March 1st. Yes, some absolutely fantastic films. Check out Gasp on social media, the website, and make yourself available for June. Yeah. Come and see us in Manchester for the weekend. Yeah. It'll be some fantastic films. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Like and follow on everything else. Next week, we are finishing our Women in Horror theme for this year with a first. Oh. It's Original versus Remake, but it isn't Original versus Remake. Oh. It's Original versus Remake's Distant Cousin <gasps> Adaptation versus Adaptation. Oh. And perfect starting point for this new format is Pet Cemetery. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, look- I'm looking forward to it. Yeah? Yeah. I'm looking forward to comparing the two films. Yes. Um, but you'll have to find out next week if I actually enjoyed the film. Yeah. yeah. Or just check out my letterbox. Well, <laughs> n- listen to the episode. Listen to the episode. We'll be back same time, same place next week. See ya.